All right, well, turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2. We're continuing our series for the common good, looking at spiritual gifts and how they work, how they operate and the like. And last week we saw together how spiritual gifts are wide and diverse gifts given to us and empowered by God for the common good. So hopefully we all saw and grasped together that they are given for the common good. So the whole purpose in part is to shine light on Jesus. The Holy Spirit himself loves to glorify the Son, to glorify Jesus Christ and his work. And so he gives us gifts in part to do that to shine a light on Jesus so we can see Jesus all the more in his imminence and splendor in our lives. There are also grace gifts given to all. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. So everybody actually has them. It's not a few people have gifts and they walk in and they're like, it's the gifted ones. No, everybody has gifts for the common good and they are indeed wide and diverse. And so we have six lists in the New Testament, 22 gifts outlined within those lists. But they're not exhaustive lists. They're just, in some ways, illustrative lists of the type of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. And so spiritual gifts are wide and diverse gifts given to us and empowered by God for the common good. Well, for the next two weeks, I want us then to to focus on three gifts in particular, namely prophecy, healing, and tongues. Now, why did I choose those when there's so many gifts? Well, it's not rocket science why I did that. If I said to you, well, for the next three weeks we're doing encouragement, administration and mercy, you'd go, oh, because it's not that, you know, we just think, okay, I get those, I don't struggle with those, we'll we'll do those. But I think when I say to you healing, prophecy and tongues, for many of you, you probably put them in the, what in the world is that bracket? And so they're the ones that you think, yeah, it's probably worth talking about those because they're often the ones that I think can be used and abused the most. They can cause the most confusion and disarray. And so I don't want to back out of preaching on them and teaching on them. I'd rather take them on. So next week, we're going to be looking at healing in tongues together. And this week, we're going to be looking at prophecy. And so we want a title for today's message. I've called it Prophecy Today. And we're going to at least start our morning in Acts chapter 2. Now, I'm going to read a few verses in a moment. I'm not going to try and exegete all these verses. I'm going to use it really as a platform to really move us forward as a church and build on what prophecy is. But let me give you some background to this text. It's the day of Pentecost. The disciples have been in the upper room for many days. God has sent the Holy Spirit exactly as he promised. The disciples at that point spill onto the streets. They start proclaiming the glories of God and speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so the crowds are starting to think, you guys have clearly been drinking something in the upper room. What's going on with that? And so Peter then responds from verse 14 to verse 18 as follows. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants, 
In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for your clarity of your word. I thank you that there isn't any word or sentence or paragraph out of place. And so although some of it is far easier to understand than others, it's all God-breathed. It's inspired by you and useful for teaching and building us up and correction and so forth. And so, Lord, would you have, our, have your way amongst us today? Lord, would we not come with our traditional backgrounds, whatever they be, to then sit over your word? But would we be like children sitting under your word? Would you speak to us afresh today and help us see then, what is prophecy? How does that work and what does that look like? Holy Spirit, would you help us in these things? In Jesus' precious name, amen. The act of prophesying and the gift of prophecy is mentioned and seen quite a lot in the New Testament. So in Acts chapter 2, what we just read there, he's talking about how the prophet Joel had prophesied hundreds of years before that a day would come when the Holy Spirit is poured out in a specific way. And he says very specifically, when that happens, men and women, old and young, well, they'll, they'll start to prophesy. Prophecy will start to be a gift that is put on them, one that they're certainly experiencing there in Acts chapter 2. We also see this gift of prophecy in other places in Acts. We see it taught about in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Thessalonians, in the book of Ephesians, or 1 Timothy. It's taught about an awful lot in the New Testament. And so it's clearly a gift that, that, that God, through these guys, wants us to understand. And yet it is so often, although it's mentioned a lot, such a great source of confusion and disarray, isn't it? It's the one thing that people go, oh, I'm really nervous about that. The only one that's probably more nervous about is tongues, which is why I'll talk about that next week. But prophecy is right up there on that list where you think, what in the world is that? And it divides churches. The truth is it even divides charismatic churches against each other, depending on where you fall in the line of what you understand prophecy to be, what you understand tongues to be, what you understand healing to be, and the like. And so my hope today, just like last week, is to continue to educate us continue to equip us and encourage us. I don't want us to just jump on any traditional bandwagon. I want us to sit under God's word as a church and say, well, Lord, what do you say about this? How do you want to address us in this? What are your criteria for this gift? Which is clearly, so evidently, something you talk about in your word. So and I hope to educate, to equip and encourage. I've really put together a message that is six questions. So I've got six points, six questions that I think are the most common questions about prophecy. So it's as if I'm going to take one of these gifts and I'm bringing it to you and saying, well, here's the gift, it's prophecy, and I want to start unwrapping it for you so you can start to see, hopefully, really hopefully, what it is and how it works and how we're to pursue it and all those types of things. So here's the first point. Question one, what is prophecy? What in the world is this thing that we're talking about? Well, the gift of prophecy today, just by way of background, because this is important, the gift of prophecy is very different to that which is seen operated in by the Old Testament prophets. And so right up front, you need to understand, we're talking about two very different things. And so in the Old Testament, when prophets prophesied, that was full on. And that was a big and large degree of what was going on. When the Old Testament prophets spoke, they spoke the very words of God. And so they began by saying, thus saith the Lord. 
And then they were behaving as oracles of God. These were God's words, and we know they were because they're in the Old Testament for us. When these guys spoke, it was as God. And so their words were absolute. Their words were authoritative. Their words were inerrant. It wasn't like, well, I just have a sense that God might be saying. No, they're saying, thus saith the Lord, boom. This is what he says. And in response to that, the the nation of, of Israel and the likes, they either obeyed that or died. So it wasn't complex in the Old Testament. God is speaking through me. This is what he's saying. Don't argue with me. I'm just a messenger. And respond to him. Either obey it or you're going to be accursed or at worst you're going to die. And for an Old Testament prophet, they had to be sure that it really was God saying it. Because there was a rule identified by Moses in Deuteronomy 13 that if they added their own words and pretended that their own words were God's words and that was found out, they were put to death. They were stoned. So in the Old Testament, prophecy was a major deal. These guys called by God to be prophets, speaking prophecy, the actual word of God, the oracles of God, people had to obey it or die. And if they are wrong, they got stoned themselves. So we are talking about something quite different in the Old Testament to that in the New. No one is coming to the contribution mic and then we think, that's out of context, stone them. We're never going to be doing that. So we're clearly talking about something that's very different to that which the Old Testament prophets operated in. The standards, praise God, in the New Testament are quite a bit lower for the gift of prophecy. You're no longer killed if you make a mistake, which is good. And no longer is prophecy in any way absolute or authoritative or inerrant. Prophecy is not absolute. It's not authoritative. And it can be errorful. That's why the Apostle Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 14 says prophecy now is only in part. And we only see through a mirror dimly. He's making it clear to them that this is quite different to what was in the Old Testament. Now we only see in part and we only see in a mirror dimly. And when Jesus returns, then we'll see him for who he is. But in the meantime, this gift of prophecy is only going to be seen in part. And so it's not absolute, it's not authoritative, and it isn't inerrant. So it's very important, Sovereign Grace, we understand right off, we're not through prophetic word adding to Scripture. Ever. We're not even putting it on the same level as Scripture. Scripture is absolute in a way that New Testament prophecy will never, ever be. We sit under this word then in an absolute and an authoritative way in a way that we will never sit under what somebody's contributing at a microphone. It it just shouldn't be like that in the same way. This gift is different. And so this is the revelation of God. We always must prioritize this and live according to this. Wayne Grudem says it this way. I love it. He says, in our daily lives... It is the words of Scripture alone that must have first place in our hearts and our minds. We must read them, believe them, memorize them, love them, and cherish them as the very words of our Creator speaking to us. All of the gifts and teachings of of today are to be subject of the words of Scripture and are to be judged by them. No other gift or teaching or writing should ever be allowed to compete with them for absolute priority in our lives. This word, Scripture, is our priority. This word, Scripture, is the primary way God speaks today, by a long way. 
It's what he has already written. And this is what we need to then sit under as absolute, inerrant, and authoritative, and primary. Not prophecy, because prophecy is different. But it is nonetheless a gift. The Bible paints it as an important gift. So what is it then? Well, two definitions that I've found most helpful. If you want to write them down, rather than me give you my own definition, let's listen to two others, because I think they're much better than anything I could come up with. So Sam Storm says this about New Testament prophecy. He says, New Testament prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. So it's a human report spoken by a guy or a girl, a human report in their own words of a divine revelation. Wayne Grudem then sort of in some ways just draws that out some more in his systematic theology, I think, very well. He says, New Testament prophecy is the telling of something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. I just think those two definitions are are such helpful handles on a discussion and on a teaching of prophecy. Because this helps us understand, okay, so what we're talking about here is a human report of a divine revelation, a, a telling of something in human words that God has spontaneously brought to mind. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about prophecy. Is it the same as Scripture? No. Is it authoritative like Scripture? No. Is it inerrant? No. It can, be er- it can, can have errors in it because we only see through a mirror dimly, we prophesy only in part. But it is nonetheless a gift, and it's a human report of divine revelation, the telling of something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Well, question two then, what in the world does that look like? What does prophecy look like then? How, how do you know that the prophecy, what does this actually mean? Put legs on this for us. Well, in the broadest sense, all prophecies by very nature are designed by God to build up, to cheer up, and to stir up. That's what they always do. Prophecies always, they build up, they cheer up, and they stir up. That's not, I'm not saying that because I'm charismatic. I'm saying that because Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3. He says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So all prophecy by very nature should build us up, it should encourage, and it should console. A building, encouragement, and consolation should always be three facets of what prophecy really is and the effect that that has on on the person or the persons that you're communicating to. And the truth is then, the way God does that and achieves that upbuilding and encouragement and consolation is actually very broad. So prophecy by very nature is multifaceted. So some people say, well, I know what prophecy is, it's foretelling of the future. Is it? I think it's a part, but is that the only thing it does? Not necessarily. I think prophecy is multifaceted, and we know it's multifaceted because we see that in the Word. And so let me give you some illustrations of that. You see, at times, I think prophecy will instruct. It will actually, in, in a sense, teach. It will bring to light things for us. So 1 Corinthians 14 verse 31 says, For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. So there's this sense that when people prophesy, part of what's going on at times is we're learning. We're hearing things that God is saying to folk. We're hearing flavors that God is saying to folk, truths and themes that sometimes we can be sitting there and think, you know, I I learned something about God there. 
I learned something, particularly when we're a newer Christian. I think sometimes people can say things prophetically, and we may be being addressed by the Lord or, or just observing God addressing somebody else, and come away realizing that's amazing that God would love people like that. We're learning truth. And so all prophecy at part, in part at times has an instructional element to it. And so, so we need to understand that. We must also understand that prophecy is different to preaching and teaching. We're talking about two different things. And so some camps would say, well, prophecy is teaching. Not according to the Bible. In fact, was actually, if, if, you, if you took out prophecy and putting preaching and you read 1 Corinthians again, it wouldn't make sense. So as one comes with a prophecy and another one has one, the first one sits down and the second one gets up. So does that mean just somewhere through in the middle of like our time this morning, somebody say, I've got the next bit of this message. I've got the next bit. Really? It just would be very hard to see how that what on earth would play out if that's the way it is. And so for me, preaching and prophecy are two very different things. Max Turner says it this way, which I think is helpful. He says, teaching or preaching is the teacher's prepared explanation of a revelation already given in Scripture or tradition. But prophecy is the relating of a revelation given directly by God. And its content and organization is typically regarded as more directly and situationally inspired by God. And so a preacher or a teacher is going to say, look, this is what the Bible says. But not quite the same with prophecy. Prophecy will have an instructional element to it, but it will be something that is spontaneous. It's come to that person in that moment. I I don't think you would like it if as a preacher and teacher I said, I haven't even learned the text this week. It's just going to be spontaneous. That would be really weird, you know. That's going to be tricky. But prophecy should have that spontaneous element. But not so with preaching and teaching. It's very prepared. You've studied the original languages. You've done your hard yards and you're saying to fig, this is what God said and this is how that works. So at times prophecy will... Instruct at times, other times, prophecy will convict. There'll be a conviction element to what prophecy does. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14 again, wonderfully. In verse 24 and 25, Paul says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, He will worship God and declare that God really is among you. I love that. And so you get this picture in Corinthians that some stuff is being shared. And as a result, unbeliever is coming in or unbelievers and they're saying, you know what? God really is among you. And I've experienced that at times in my life. I remember a number of years ago at Christchurch, my my home church, and there was a, one of the ladies came up, gave a, a prophecy, and she just said, you know, I just got a sense and that there's someone here today and something's happened in your life and you never got a chance to say goodbye. And this is just throwing you around in your life all over the place. But just God wants you to know that through this, he's going to be saying hello to you. And through your sorrow, he's going to meet with you. And then she sat down again. And I think I was worship leading and just like, well, we'll carry on singing then. And you think, well, I, I wonder what, you know, when, when it, did anybody, did that speak to anybody? Or? And this man came up to us at the end of the meeting, tears in his eyes, and just said, that was me. And my wife has died, my ex-wife has died. I've just had to move back to Newport to care for my two small girls. I came to church because I'm just in a desperate state. 
And I know now, he said, I know now God is in this place. He has no idea what Corinthians, one Corinthians said. But he said, I know now God is in this place. Six weeks later, we had the privilege of baptizing him. He gave his life to the Lord. God just flooded his mind. God met with this man. He became a Christian and we baptized him. That's incredible. Well, that's the convicting nature of prophecy. There are times when God, in his grace, gives people an inspiration and they, and they say it and God moves in that. And for that unbeliever, ultimately, he, he met with the Lord out of that. My own auntie and uncle would have the same story. They were actually at a um, barbecue it was a church social and they're unbelievers. They're actually visiting our family. I was only a kid at the time. And there was this guy in the church that said to my dad, you know, I think I have a prophetic word for your you know, sister-in-law, my mum's sister. Can I, can I give it to her? And my dad's like, sure, you, know, you give that a go and that's fine. So he went over to her and said, look, I, I just believe that the Lord, Lord's given me a prophecy for you. And he just wants, you, wants me to tell you that he, he knows that you're trying for kids and that he'll give you the desire of your heart. Well, that is pretty full on if that's wrong. That's going to be problematic. But what actually happened, and I remember as a kid, I was in the back of their car on the way back home that, that evening, and they were just saying, no one knew we were trying. How did that happen? And it was a few months later, they gave their life to the Lord because they're aware, God is real. No one knew those things. He revealed the secrets of my heart. He's met me in those things and that led to their conversion as well. So at times prophecy will instruct. At times prophecy will convict. At other times prophecy will foretell and confirm. You see that in the Bible. I think people do get nervous about that one and I can understand why. Well, we see it in the Bible. So in Acts chapter 11, we see Agabus predicting that there is going to be a worldwide famine. He didn't know it, but God instructed him and he told people and that's exactly what happened. In Acts 21, Agabus predicts that if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he will be bound. Well, Paul does go to Jerusalem and he does get bound. So there is this directional prophecy, a foretelling and a confirmation of what takes place. And so there are at times a foretelling aspect to prophecy. Now, I think particularly on that one, I think just to caution us, I think all too often in my circles and my upbringing of the charismatic, that can be the one that people are looking for. I want somebody to read my mail and tell me what to do in my life. That is possible, but very rare. And we have to say that's possible, but very rare. It's possible because we see it in the Bible, but we have to say it's very rare because not much emphasis is given to this in the New Testament at all. So to build a whole theology around that is prophecy. I think that would be putting a heck of a lot of weight in really two verses to say, well, this is what it is. I think it has a foretelling element and can have a foretelling element, but I don't think we should always assume that, well, prophecy must be fortune-telling. I'd be really careful there. It is a part, but I don't think we should put overemphasis on something that the New Testament within the gift of prophecy doesn't put overemphasis on. But it does have and can have a foretelling element there is also, I think, a confirmational aspect to prophecy. We see it Acts 15, verse 28. The Jerusalem Council gathers. They're discussing all about, you know, now the Gentiles are becoming Christians and getting saved. How much of sort of our tradition should they incorporate? How much of the Jewish tradition should they incorporate? Should they do all the ceremonies and things that we do and so on and so forth? And they discuss it in Acts 15, verse 28. It says, For it, is, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. 
What's that all about? There's clearly this sense of, you know what, it seemed good to us. We chatted about it and, and we felt in wisdom this is the best way forward. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit as well. How did they know that? It doesn't really say, but they clearly know it because they're happy to preach it. And God's happy to put it in his Bible. So clearly God's saying, yep, they did. Yeah, they sensed the Holy Spirit in this and they sensed their own wisdom in this. And so there was clearly a confirmational element from the Holy Spirit as they gathered as a council that, you know, this is right. As it seemed good to us, it seemed good to our leadership. And so this is what we want to say. Good to our leadership, good to the Holy Spirit. And so you get this idea that the Holy Spirit does guide and confirm direction, often through prophecy. And again, I've experienced that on a number of occasions. One of my best friends, Paul Dale, who's the senior pastor at Church by the Bridge, um, went to America, went to actually Sovereign Grace, and some of the Sovereign Grace stuff, and met with one of the pastors that I know well, Gary Ricucci. And Gary Ricucci was talking to him, getting to know him over dinner, and he just said, you know what? He said, Paul, I don't know where you're at with the charismatic, and um, do you believe it? That type of, and he said, oh, I actually do. I think God can move like that. And he said, oh, that's really helpful. And because I just believe God's given me a word for you. And the word, and, and it might not mean anything to you, but, but just I think it, I, the word that I keep seeing as we're chatting is, is widow. And I just want to, you know it. And Paul starts crying. I'm like, why are you, why are you crying? He said, well, I'm coming on this trip in part to consider whether I should date Rachel, who's a widow. And God's clearly answered me. And he dated her, married her, and now have a few kids. Praise the Lord for that. But God used that to really stimulate in his heart that sense of, yeah, this is the right thing to do. The Holy Spirit confirmed. I just think that's so cool. Gary had no idea. Never met this guy. All of a sudden, widow. <laughs> God's speaking. You know, this is full on. I remember when Emma and I were moving to Australia, or even considering it. We had never considered it before. I've told you before about the infamous breakfast meeting and where Emma and I had breakfast together and I was involved in, in helping oversee Australia even at that time. I wasn't meant to be coming, um, but I was, I was meant to be helping oversee somebody to come and locate somebody to come. And as, as we're discussing, uh, Emma's saying to me, what type of guys do you need to be? And I'm just laying it out. What type of guys? And I was passionate about it. And she said, well, you, you know, you seem like that type of guy. And she laughed and I laughed. <laughs> um, and then we just went really quiet because I would genuinely say in that moment, we knew we were coming to Australia. It was just clear. It was just, there was something in our spirits. At the same time, spontaneously, hadn't planned it, that I think that's what the Lord will do. And so we went home and we turned on the telly. Because I remember even on that way home, we started to discuss, man, like, that would be a huge deal. You just think, this is ridiculous. And, you know, and we turn on the telly and there's wanted down under on. And you're like, no, this is... Just unhelpful. Um, so we so we flip that off, and I'm like, oh, I can't cope with this. Let's watch a video. So we turn the video player on, and, and as soon as the video, it's 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 the Wiggles live from Sydney. You know, like this is <laughs> true story. It's just like this is insane. Um, I think the Lord may be speaking to us, and we just sat on it for a number of weeks, and then eventually I, I talked to my pastor about it, and Pete Greasley, and said, look, we really feel that the Lord may be calling us to Australia, and, but you know, I want to know what you think because. Obviously, that would change things for here in the UK. Yeah, but also, we may be wrong. You know, and, and, and these things can be infallible. They're not infallible. They can be fallible. Mistakes can be made, and so we want to put it to you. And he said, well, thanks for putting it to me. No, you can't go, but thanks for asking. And I'll pray about it, um, which he did. 
But within that season of, of Pete praying about it, we just had numerous times. And one time, which I don't know whether I've ever told you about, but it was about a week after Pete had said, look, I just don't think, I don't think this is going to be possible. We're still very much living with that sense of, I think the Lord's going to do this. Only Emma and I knew. No one else knew. So now it was me, Emma and Pete. That was it. And Patrick Chavez, one of the guys who helped found this church, um, emailed us on Facebook and said, look, just want you to know, I've been praying for you this morning and I, I just have a sense that God might be drawn to Australia. Just want you to know. And like, <laughs> so there's things like that that you just think, when you experience them and live in them, you think, yeah, I've got a major category for that because I've experienced these things. I see how the Lord does that. I see how he moves in those ways. And so at times there is a foretelling and confirmational aspect to prophecy. So at times it instructs, at times it convicts an unbeliever. At other times, I think there's a foretelling and aspect to it and confirmation aspect. But, you know, oftentimes, prophecy in the right sense will also just reveal and console. There will be a revelatory aspect to it and a consoling aspect to it. And I don't say just in the sense of, oh, that's all it is. What I mean is I think that is actually a massive primary way that it works. And I'd have to say my experience is I've seen that a lot and I've seen the other things in part, but I've seen that regularly. Just the Holy Spirit, through this gift of prophecy, revealing something to somebody and then bringing consolation in. Actually consoling the person, caring for the person, bringing grace to the person. You see, there's this principle in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 25 that in prophecy, the secret things of the heart are disclosed. There's something secret. And then the Lord brings it to light and shines a light in it. And again, I think... I've seen that a lot. I think we've experienced it here, haven't we? Where God gives somebody a word and, and you think, well, that's, that's interesting, but it might be for somebody who's sick or about to go into hospital or about to make a major decision. And then, so that's the disclosing aspect to it. The consoling aspect is then what the person then says, which is usually scriptural or should be scriptural, bound by scripture. It might not necessarily be a scripture reading, but it's going to be bound by scripture. And so there's a revelatory and consoling aspect. And it's not uncommon for us to know, because often you tell us that, you know what, when that person said that, that was me. I thought about those very things. And even some of the words they used were the exact words I just used with my husband this morning. I think, yeah, that's the gift of prophecy. It's that revelatory and, and consoling way in the way it works. We've experienced that here. I've experienced it a lot in my old church too. I remember... One time, actually the same lady that, that, that did the um, other one about the unbeliever, she came up to the microphone and she said, I have a sense that there's someone here um, that's had an abortion this week and that you are considering ending your own life, having ended the life of another. But within this, God wants you to know that he ended his son's life so that you could be forgiven even in this. That was full on. And I was leading that morning as well. It was tricky to know... Well, we'll just sing another song. You know, how do you do this? And there's about 600 people, so it's quite a gathering as well. And you're like, that is the full end of the spectrum. And you're also thinking, to be honest, was that right? Because that's very specific and very full on. Well, lo and behold, one of our young girls, who was a shock to me as well, came up with tears in her eyes. Said, that was me. I had an abortion this week. No one knew, her parents didn't know, and I was considering ending my own life because I've been living with this all week in such shame. And we were just able to minister to her and the Lord ministered to her. And you think, that is powerful. 
reveals the secrets of her heart and then consoles. God meets with that girl. Remember also at New Attitude many years ago when Bob Coughlin has, he has these prophetic songs, which is just really cool. It's just prophecy, but just singing along with it. But it's really quite effective. Um, in fact, it's very effective. And I remember being in this big meeting and he just said, look, I've just got a sense there's, there's someone here, a young girl who's blind. And the Lord wants to give you a prophetic word. I think he's given me some words for you to say. And so you think, I hope there's a young girl here who's blind because this is just going to be embarrassing, if nothing else. And lo and behold, this young girl puts her hand up. It was her. So he said, well, look, I don't embarrass you. I'm just going to you know, pray over you and I've got a word for you. And he sings this song, which is just prophecy. And it was just, it was just all about how the Lord loved her and had always loved her. And that the first eyes she will ever see will be the Saviour's. It wasn't just that young girl crying in that room in that moment. Everybody was affected. This is the Saviour's love being poured out on this girl. And it's coming through this gift of prophecy. Revealing things that Bob didn't know in that time. And then consoling with truth. And what a moment that was. And so prophecy... It's multifaceted. It instructs, it convicts, it foretells, it confirms, it reveals and consoles. It doesn't have to do that all those things at the same time, but it often has one or two of those things um, a part of it, but it is multifaceted. Well, number three then, what is the effect of prophecy? That was my longest point, so don't panic. What is the effect of prophecy? Well, here's the overarching effect of prophecy. The overarching effect of prophecy is I think it's in prophecy that we become aware of the imminent presence of God. We just know his nearness. We just become very, very aware that he, he's close. He's actually here with us. Max Turner, in talking about prophecy, says it this way. He says, These activities of God in the congregation serve as a sign to his people a sign of blessing, indicating that he is with them, that he knows them intimately, and that he knows what dangers beset them, that he has them in his hand, leads them, and instructs them. And it is a sign that may be, be transparent to, to the unbeliever. You know, all of us in this room as Christians, we have the word, right? We have the infallible, authoritative word of God, and this is what we build our lives on. And so we stand on this word, and we know... As we stand on this word without any doubt that God is always with us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that there is nowhere that we can go outside of his presence. We know all these things, right? And as we walk through trials, we stand on these truths. You know, they're truths that define us and we stand on them as Christians and say, I know God is with me. I know God is faithful. I know he will hem me in both behind and before. But there are times when I think we can all sense in different ways that it would just be good and helpful and encouraging to in some way know that specifically in a moment. To know his nearness. I know we know it, but, but to know it, to experience that sense of he, he is here. Well, my friends, that's exactly what prophecy does. It takes a God who is trustworthy, who is faithful in all things, who is all-loving, and says, here he is as well, right with you. When those words are coming to that blind girl, everybody in the room is aware of God's imminence. 
God's profound care. We're not just reading about it, but we, we know it. There is an intangible experience going on for everybody. We think, God is near. We see it all the time. That's why for unbelievers, the premise is, God is in this place. It's not just a, yeah, that's really cool. God knows all things. It's an experience. God is with you guys. What's going on here? And that's been my experience. Whatever the width of prophecy and its multifaceted nature, what it does is it brings God near. It brings God imminent. And so it's no wonder then, when you think about it, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, all these gifts are great, but eagerly desire that you prophesy. Eagerly desire that when you gather and you spend time with God's people, that he might give you the gift of prophecy. Because through prophecy, God, who is truly great, will be imminent. People will go away affected and changed, very experientially aware of God's love and affection for them. Unbelievers can become believers through this gift, so eagerly desire to prophesy. Eagerly desire it because Jesus is going to become big and great in your midst through that gift. It's obvious when you see kind of what it is and the effect of it, why he'd be so busy saying, you know, tongues, that's great, but I'd eagerly desire you to prophesy. He's aware of the effect of this one in particular and so wants us to have that. Well, number four then, how then do you know if you have a prophecy? How do you know it? I mean, this is, this is a practical question, but an important question, eh? I mean, how do you know? How, how can you tell? If, am, I, am I getting one? Have I just experienced it? Is it just that your hands go clammy and your tongue feels like it's a size nine shoe and then you know that I'm meant to be coming up? In, it, that can happen and, and does tend to happen. But no, that, the Bible doesn't talk about those things. That just could be our human reaction to thinking, I think I've got something. But, but it often does happen. But how do you, how do you really know biblically that God has really given you a prophecy. Well, here's three things, three markers that I've learned from Scripture and from others and from my own experience that I think can be helpful when it comes to this point. Three things that I think you want to be looking for if you sense that you have a prophecy. Three things. Number one, spontaneity. Prophecy, as biblically defined, is spontaneous. It is an and suddenly moment. It's not something that's been prepared in the same way. So we get a hint of that. I think in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is, where Paul is talking about one, one person is prophesying and another gets a word. There's just that sense of, oh, when somebody gets a word, I either haven't brought it with them, but it's something that's happening as we gather. So when that happens, this is what you need to do. You just get this sense through Scripture, this is spontaneous. This is something the Lord is doing in an and suddenly moment. Sam Storm says it this way. He says, prophecy is not based on a hunch, a a supposition, an inference, an educated guess, or even even on sanctified wisdom. Neither is it based on personal insight, intuition, or illumination. No, listen, prophecy is always based on spontaneous revelation. It's something that's spontaneous. It has an and suddenly part to it, which as I said before is quite different to preaching and teaching. I hope it is. And so we always need to be cautious, just talking practically with you as a church, we need to be cautious. I think when we sense we have a prophecy and it just happens to be something that we've been thinking about or dealing with all week, be careful with those. So for example, um, you're married, your wife's dealing with small children, She's overwhelmed in this and you're trying to help her as a husband all week. 
in that. And, you know, she's not quite getting it very well. So each day you're just trying to wash her with the word and help her with the word. And she's still not quite getting it. And you're talking about it in the car on the way to church. But you still not quite getting it. And then all of a sudden, you have a prophetic word. And so up you come. And I just have a sense that there's ladies here that are struggling with small children. I'd be cautious, really cautious there. Because that's not spontaneous. That's something you've been thinking about. That's something. So if you ever feel that, stop and pray that the Lord would give that spontaneous word to somebody else. But don't come up. <laughs> don't come up thinking that that's prophecy because we need to be very careful there. There's a spontaneous element to what we do. And so that doesn't mean that God can't or doesn't give us something spontaneously in our devotions or prayer times or leading up to a gathering or to an event or to seeing a person. It doesn't mean that. I think he does, and I think he can. I think it's not uncommon to, maybe in our private devotions or in the prayer time before we actually kick off on a Sunday morning, that God may give you a word or a phrase or a sentence or a paragraph. Sometimes I think he can actually give you a picture of something. You see something or a vision. You can dream dreams as well, and you're aware, well, when is that for? You know, that still has a spontaneous element to it. But it may be that that spontaneous element then impacts on a Sunday morning or impacts in life group or impacts when we're out in the day and suddenly the, the thing that we've been thinking about starts to unfold before us. But it's still spontaneous, right? It's not planned. It's not prepared. It's not journaled for 13 days before we give it prophetically. It's spontaneous. It's a prophetic word is always spontaneous. It's also, um, the other thing is clarity. Prophecy is always clear. You know what the Lord is saying. And you need to know what the Lord is saying. So 1 Corinthians 14 verse 7, Paul says it this way. He's talking about tongues and prophecy. He says, If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? He's talking there about clarity and, and intelligibility. He, he, he's saying, you know what, you've got to be able to see this. It's got to make sense. You see, again, I think my, my background, um, being sort of the more crazy charismatic end of the spectrum, so if you want to find out about Toronto Blessing, I can tell you all about it. You know, I, I, was just, I was right up there with, with the stuff. And it, yeah, we had some fun. It was different. Dueling prophets, I won't talk about them on this occasion, but they're a problem. But anyway, we had this idea that sometimes when prophecy was coming, that it had to be quite mystical. And the more mystical, the better. So you'd have people just go to you and say, blue. Blue. I don't know. And you wouldn't have a clue. Or, or, or people would come in and just say, I just, just have a, I, this saith the Lord, I, I see a tree, and on it you sitteth. Amen. And you're like, what was that? But, but because of our upbringing, you didn't say, oh, what was that? You thought, that was so spiritual. <laughs> so we should just meditate on that. And, you know, maybe it's the tree in our garden, dear. Maybe, maybe the, I, I don't know. Maybe we're meant to sit on the tree. You, you just think, this is very confusing. Prophecy by very nature is not meant to be confusing. It's meant to be very clear. It's meant to be very clear. And we see that emphasized all the way through Scripture. And so for sure, on occasions, prophetic impressions can get clearer over time. So it is possible the Lord may give you a word or a picture and you think, I'm not quite sure what that's meant to reveal or say. That's fine. We'll keep praying about those things, keep waiting on those things. But don't come up to the mic until we're seeing those things, you know, because you think it's still unclear and prophecy is meant to be clear. 
And it's also meant to be, number three, specific. There's a specificity test, if you will, because prophecy is always specific. So prophecy is always a a particular word for a particular person or people in a particular circumstance. It isn't vague. It's a particular word for a particular persons or people in a particular circumstance. So in Acts 21, we see Agabus saying that the man who owns this belt is going to be bound by it. You know, it's very specific. Paul, I'm talking to you. And this is what's going to happen to you. And whenever you see prophecy in the New Testament, it's, it's most often in the context of local church, and it's specific. It's to this group in the church or to this person in the church, and you know who it is. And so prophecy, when we operate them in a sovereign grace, we have to understand biblically all those three things should be happening. It should be spontaneous, it should be clear, and it should be specific. We shouldn't be going away thinking, well, I've been thinking about it all week, and I still haven't got a clue what it means, but hey, have it anyway. That, that's really unhelpful. It should be spontaneous, and we should all be going away in the room thinking, I could see who that, that was for. It's very clear what group of people it was for or persons it was for. It's very clear what God said. It was even clear the context because of what was said. They're either troubled or in sin and needing to work through that or they've had an abortion or there's things going on in their lives. You think, this is specific. God is not the God of confusion. He's not trying to say, this will fool them. He's trying to say, no, I'm trying to speak to you. So it needs to be clear. And so, folks, if you ever feel that, if you feel stirred in those ways before the Lord, if you ever think, you know what, I wasn't thinking about this before I came, but I'm now thinking of something spontaneously, and I, and I see it quite clearly, and, and I think it's specific. I think it's to this group of people, and the Lord wants to say this. I would, I would have a strong conviction that is most, most likely prophecy. So get ready to bring it, because that's what the Lord does. That's how he operates. So how then do you know, number five, if what you just heard was a prophecy? So somebody just comes up and you think, how do I know whether that was just them or whether that really was God? How do I know if that was just them eating cheese all night or that it really was God encountering us in this moment? How do you know? Well, as I said earlier, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 9, we do prophesy now only in part. And we do see into a mirror dimly now. It's only part, it's only dimly. And so that does put limitations on prophecy and must do because it's different. That's why in Sovereign Grace we never, ever, ever want to hear somebody come into the mic and say, thus saith the Lord. Because it gives the impression that you're now speaking as an oracle of God, that he said exactly what you're saying. And I'd be saying to you, he didn't. You're reporting it in your own words. That's exactly what prophecy is. And he may have given you the impression that is exactly what prophecy is. But they're not exactly his words, are they? Because if they are, we better put them at the back of our Bibles and write them down. It doesn't speak in the same way now. Scripture's closed in that sense. And so we do only prophesy in part. We do only see through a mirror dimly. And so Acts 21 verse 4, for example, Agabus, the one I've been talking to you about, the one where he says to the Apostle Paul, and you know what? Whoever owns this belt is going to be bound by the Jews when they meet Jerusalem. And we think, that is so cool, because he did get bound. Yes, but not by the Jews, by the Romans. So it wasn't accurate. No. Prophecy is only in part. That's recorded for us in the Bible. If you read it, he prophesies they're going to be bound by the Jews. He's bound by the Romans. Huh. So he was wrong. No, he was right about the big idea. But wrong in exactly who would bind them. 
prophecy we only see in part. And so how do we know then when somebody shares a prophecy with us, whether it be one-on-one or in a live group or in a small group or on a Sunday morning, how do we actually discern, is this the Lord then or, or is it not? Well, I think 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 is very helpful for us. Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit and do not despise prophecies. See, because it's, it can be only in part, people think, well, therefore, let's not have it. No. Paul says, do not despise prophecies. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't stop this because you want to control it because it could be wrong. He just says, you know what? Do not quench the Spirit and do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Paul says, you know what, I want people to prophesy. I want you to eagerly desire to prophesy. I want you to practice prophecy. But then I want the congregation to realize they need to test it. Because prophecy is only a part. And people only see through a mirror dimly. And so we need to test it and weigh it before the Lord. And the way we do that, I think in essence, isn't particularly mystical. I think it's quite, quite easy. Two ways, scripture and our hearts. We need to give it the test of scripture, i.e. does it conform to scripture? Is what they believe God is saying biblically accurate because I give you a clue if it's not that wasn't prophecy or they had the sense right but then the way they said it that was so added on to that now it's contradicting Micah chapter 2 and that's a problem so we have to test it through scripture is what we feel the Lord is saying true in, in regard to revealed scripture we have to give it that test we must and that's why I think whenever we come up just as an aside and we're sharing scripture as part of prophetic word, which I think is great, make sure you share it in context. Because I've sometimes heard prophetic words, generally actually, to be fair, not here, but heard people say, you know, I just have a sense the Lord wants to say this to mums. And, 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 and they read the text, but you think, but that wasn't, that's got nothing to do with that. And that wasn't even actually the point of that text. It's, it's like I make up a saying, I just have a sense the Lord wants to say, Genesis, Genesis 3 verse 15 says, the and so I just want to say the, and you think it's a bit weird. You know, that's, it has to be in context. We have to understand the, the context. Otherwise, the Lord's reproducing what he's saying in different contexts. That's, we need to be very nervous with that. Um, but we do need to work out, does it conform to Scripture? And, and that's so important. So I remember, as, again, as a young guy, one of my friends um, was prayed over and prophesied over in our old context by a guy who said, Thus saith the Lord, um, you are going to do PA to the nations. And you must leave everything for the sake of the gospel to follow him. Well, on paper you think, yeah, okay, the, the essence of it, fine. Um, the, the exactness of it, thus saith the Lord, no, not happy with that. Because, because the challenge is when you hear that as a Pentecostal for, for my upbringing, it, it's the same as reading scripture. And, and, and so you would never consider, you know what, I might want to chat to my pastor about that or, or gain counsel because you think, well, why do I need to do that? God spoke to me. Who are you to contradict what, the way the Lord has spoke to me? And in that context, for that guy, sadly, under the context that God has instructed him or had instructed him to do PA to the nations, he left local church, something that cuts across scripture to not forsake meeting together. He decided he didn't need church anymore because he needed to be PA to the nations and he left his wife to pursue it as well because God had called him. Can you see how that dangerous that is? So does that mean that guy should not have shared, thus said the Lord, you're going to do PA to the nations? No, if that's what he feels, the Lord is good. But it might have been better to say, you know, I just got a sense that you need to weigh up in line with Scripture and probably talk to, to your pastor about and people that care about your friends. 
I just had a sense that maybe the Lord would have you do PA around the world somehow in some way and maybe talk to your wife about it. Same thing, but said very differently. So we need to test it against Scripture. Is what's being said scripturally true? And we also need to test it, I think, against our hearts. Does it resonate in our hearts? So if Scripture is meant to build up and encourage and console, did it? Do I feel anxious, more anxious now having received that? Or do I think, you know what, that, that just rings true. I feel comforted by the Lord in that. I feel encouraged. I feel built up. Again, we must be very careful here. And I doubt if we're going to experience it here in the same way. But, but again, growing up and hearing so many stories of people saying, you know what, I've just got a sense the Lord wants you to know and that the reason why you can't have kids is because of past sin and your partner's life. And you're, What? That's not encouraging in any shape or form. I remember one situation um, where somebody, was, somebody had sort of prophesied over them that the reason why your kids keep dying is because there's a generational curse, thus saith the Lord. How is that encouraging? So A, it's contrary to Scripture. And B, we're neither built up or consoled or encouraged by that. In fact, it's just horrendous. And I think particularly for that family, they ended up just walking away from the Lord. They're like, I can't cope with this. And that is a massive ab- abuse of prophecy. We must never be like that. And so I trust as you hear me unpack prophecy, you're getting a good handle of what it is and what we're wanting. We don't want that. That's abuse of it. But we must not quench the spirit and therefore say, okay, no prophecy. We just have to be learned. We have to make sure it's spontaneous and clear and particular. And as it's come then and it's helped, we need to make sure we test it against Scripture and we need to make sure we test it against our hearts. You know, on a Sunday morning, one of the helps we have with that is we have one of our leaders on the contribution mic. So for all of you that might be new, if you ever feel you, you, know, you have something that you might want to share on a, on a Sunday, come down to this microphone and there'll be one of our leaders, Brendan today, sitting right on that chair, and you, you talk to them about it. Now, they are not the police, all right? It's not like, you know, this is not FBI over here saying, I'm sorry. That is, I think the, the word ah was slightly out of context, so walk of shame, back to your seats. You know, that's not... That's not what we're trying to cultivate. What we're trying to do is probably two things. One, just create a bit of order, which, which again we'll talk about in a few weeks. But the Apostle Paul is saying, guys, this is great, but this is a bit chaotic. And so he's trying to create some order in the church. And that's one way we do it, so we don't just have people shouting out, which is kind of what I grew up with again, but shouting out different prophetic words, and, and that's when you get dueling prophecies. Thus saith the Lord, and thus saith the Lord what he said was wrong. And what? what? Okay, who are we listening to? And it starts to get really confusing. Um, but we do have a guy on the mic that's just there to help. And so they're not there to police, but they are there to say, you know what, that's really helpful. We're going to do that after song four because we know what the worship leader is going with that and that's going to best assist our time this morning and I think that would be great. Sometimes they're just there to help us, help us, or help me. You know, just with, well, look, I, I, get, a, I get a picture of, of the Lord wants to minister to folks that are sick, but I'm not quite sure exactly what he says. And so they might say, well, why don't you just sit here for a moment and continue to pray? Continue to wait on the Lord. What might he give you for them? Or, or maybe you don't have that part of the prophecy and somebody else is going to have that. So let's just wait. See if somebody else comes down with more of that. So they're just there to lead, to help, to give, to really in, in some ways empower you that it's good what you're saying. <laughs> say this, but maybe don't say this and, and that will be really helpful and go for that. Thank you for doing it. So on a Sunday morning, we have help and with our leadership team on the microphone. But even outside of that, 
when you're when you're in your life groups or when you're one-on-one you're with friends you just have to be aware that the way the lord works is he wants people to step up and do this but he wants then you to receive it through the lens of through scripture and your own heart is it biblically accurate does it resonate in your heart and my disposition honestly not so much as a pastor but just as a christian where somebody comes to me and it's scriptural and it resonates with my heart i receive that as a word from the lord I'm not going to try and assess it with every single thing. You think, no, that resonates well. It's biblically accurate. Thank you so much for being used by the Lord and sharing in that way. So prophecy is a wonderful gift from the Lord. It's helpful. It's useful. He shines a light on his son through these things. He reveals things and ministers to us. And it does need to be tested. But at the same time, we need to be pursuing this. And so that brings me on to my final question. What then should we do with this gift of prophecy now? How do we respond to this as a local church? What are we meant to do with it? Well, two things. Number one, eagerly desire it. This is how you apply this message, Sovereign Grace. Number one, we eagerly desire it. Three times in 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul commands us to do that. Verse 1, he says, Pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Verse 5, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Verse 39, So my brothers eagerly desire to prophesy. You know, we have to bottom out, having surveyed what prophecy is, we can't then sit neutrally and say, I'm still a bit nervous of it, because the Apostle Paul looks you back and says, I'm sorry to hear you're nervous of it. Eagerly desire it. Eagerly pursue it. It's a command from Scripture. It's not like an optional. It's a, no, we need to be pursuing this. As a congregation, as individuals, we need to be pursuing this so that God would indeed give that gift in the Holy Spirit so that we may be able to play a part if the Lord give us that specific gift to shine a light on Jesus in specific ways to specific people at a specific time with specific words to say. We want to be pursuing those things. And the context of Paul, particularly in 1 Corinthians 13, is if you really love these people, given the effect of this gift, eagerly desire it. If you really love them and you want God to break into your local church, eagerly desire to prophesy because gosh that makes a difference when god becomes imminent because somebody's sharing in a certain way ah paul would be saying i I love that so eagerly desire those things and if the lord then blesses you in that way as an individual here's the second thing to do then not only eagerly desire it but courageously practice it see to prophesy and to operate in prophecy, I think, always takes great courage and faith. It does. Because I know what it's like. You start to have that sense from the Lord of something he might want you to say, and you think, I think, I'm, I think this is it. And then about within a minute, you think, no, it's probably me. No, it's probably me. And, oh, the worship's moved on anyway. And, no, the life leader doesn't seem too keen on that tonight, so I probably won't. Probably won't. We start to talk ourselves out of it so quickly. And often it's because we're a bit chicken. Because we think, if I say this and it's not right, are they going to think I'm stupid? So I'm not going to say it. And then no one prophesies. And we say, I'd love to see prophecy in this church. Well, that means we've got to step up and pursue it and actually want those different things. So we have to courageously practice it. And so for all of us, I'd encourage you, you know, eagerly desire to prophesy. And if you have that sense from the Lord, a spontaneous sense, which is clear, 
and specific. Come on down to the microphone and share it with one of the leaders who's going to help us within those things to work out, okay, well, what, what might the Lord want to do this morning? So obviously I come from a church which, which was about 600, so it's a different context. We often had, you know, five or six people down there. And you're choosing between, well, we're going to go with this one and this one. And often it was great because they were all coming with the same things. And so it was confirmational for everybody in the group that you're all experiencing the Lord. Praise God for that. And so you know what, let's go with yourself and yourself. And Okay, this, this seems like a good time, so let's go now. And everybody feels that, if, you know, it's, it's a great experience. And the church grows through that and the imminence of God. So Sunday morning, if you feel a sense, come on down to the mic. Also in life group and small groups, when you're praying for folk, or you're just waiting on the Lord and you think, you know, I just think the Lord may have given me a sense for, for you. And this is what I think he wants you to know. And weigh it up and chew it over. And, but, you know, does that resonate with you? Think also one-on-one when we're spending meals with folk. You're spending time with folk. If the opportunity arises and you're praying, you're crying out to God for grace in our quiet times, don't be surprised if God starts to then put things in your mind. Puts things in your mind and reveals then the secrets of the person you're talking to, and ministers to that person in an incredibly provoking way. I remember a number of years ago, actually the church hadn't long started here, and I was just feeling so overwhelmed with so many things that were going on in this church at that time. Um, and I was actually in my office praying, and, and my text went, and it was Lewis Roderick, one of the pastors at Christchurch, just saying, I was just thinking of you, and I think the Lord wants you to know, keep doing what you're doing, and well done. Thank you. Text off, thank you, Jesus. You know, but I think, but what you have there, what I think we we'll want here is that culture of people are eagerly pursuing this, and so there is that sense of I'm going to give it a go. You know, let's see. And we're speaking truth. We're bringing God near. We're bringing Him imminent. So, folks, I want to encourage you. That's the gift of prophecy. It's nothing we need to be genuinely nothing we need to be spooked out about. Quite the other. It needs to be something we're pursuing. So that by God's grace, we can shine more and more light on Jesus to specific people in a specific way at a specific time. So that the Lord becomes imminent. And through that, the whole church is built, which is the point of the spiritual gifts. And so would prophecy then be part of our story? Amen. I'm going to pray. Lord, I do thank you for the spiritual gifts. And I thank you that your desire within the spiritual gifts is that the church would be built. Your desire, Holy Spirit, is that much would be made of Christ and him crucified, that we would see him in his glory, we'd see him in his passion, we'd see him in his mercy and his grace and love, and that we would at times experience that in very particular and personal and specific ways. Lord, how kind you are to build churches together and then say, you know what? You need each other to speak Christ into your lives at different times. How kind and caring you are towards us as a family. And so Lord, would you help us then to eagerly desire this and, and faithfully utilise this for your glory and would much be made then of Christ and him crucified. Would you become bigger in our eyes and would you amaze us in who you are through the gift of prophecy even more. In Jesus' precious name.